Hello, and welcome to Game Brain, a podcast hosted by Matthew Robinson and his gaming group. Welcome to an extra turn of Game Brain, I believe we'll ta- call this. Extra turn or mm-hmm. bonus turn, if you will. Uh, I was out of town this week for business, so we did not do a game night. So we are going to do a special bonus episode so as not to miss one. And in fact, I think this might actually be a good thing to do in the middle of every round. We are halfway through the round now. We're halfway through the round. It's a nice round number to have eight episodes in a round as opposed to seven. Sure. Because there are eight of us, but I obviously am in every one. I'm not going to have my own episode by myself. So I think it might be a good idea in the middle to do an extra one. And I kind of had a thought. Today we're going to do a special uh, deep dive on Resistance Avalon, or as we just call it, Avalon. Avalon. Which is a game on our 8x8. Which made me think, maybe it's a good idea to do a deep dive on every game on our 8x8 once per round. Ooh. Just something to think about. I like that. I think that's great. We'll give it a whirl. We are hosted, uh, we're co-hosting today along with Tom Donnelly, Trey Alsop, who you have met. Hi. And somebody who, congratulations, well done on the metagaming of jumping the line here, uh, playing his role very well by uh, gaming the system and making sure he showed up a lot earlier than he chose to. Oh, he was the first one to choose. <laughs> he and chose he regrets, last. He regrets that choice. And yet here he is, Paul Satachet, ladies and gentlemen. Say hello. Excuse me, Paul and I are sharing a mic, so we'll be passing it back and forth a little bit. Hello, everyone. It's Paul. How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> that was definitely worth it. Dude, fantastic. Uh, so all, glad you jumped the line. All, all that media training is paying off. You're yeah. doing great. So uh, Paul is here, uh, along with Trey and Tom, to talk about Resistance Avalon, because they are the three players that love Resistance Avalon the most. Paul chose it as his favorite game in the introductory episode, if you haven't listened. Um, and Trey and Tom have very strong opinions on uh, strategy for this game. Now, Resistance Avalon... I think briefly. all four of us do. It's just three of us share a strong opinion. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I uh, notoriously am not wildly in love with uh, Resistance Avalon, but I will say this. I respect it. Oh, I do respect it. I respect it a lot. I just... And I actually enjoy playing it. Just not with any of you. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's okay. It's okay. You're playing checkers when we're playing chess, and that's not oh, fun. I get that. Okay. I Here we go. That. So before, <laughs> so uh, we're going to do a quick, uh, so just this episode's going to be, we're going to do a little news. We're going to get into the deep dive. Tom's got a little mini review on an exciting new game. Oh, yeah. Um, so yeah, we're just going to jump into it, but this is not your typical episode, but uh, hopefully you'll enjoy this. Even if you've not played Resistance Avalon, even if it's not... Uh, a game that you, is on your radar. We hope that um, you can listen to this and want to try it because we, we, we definitely think it's worth it. It's on our 8x8 challenge. It's a fascinating game. Uh, spoiler alert, we think it is the best social deduction game on the market currently. Mm-hmm. We have not played the Blood Orange Clock Tower, whatever the new... Blood on the Clock Blood Tower. On the Clock we Tower. Have we haven't played, played that yet, yet, although people say that's the best. Uh, we're well, not sure. We'll Tra- see. I'm, I'm Tra- ready to Tra- play kickstarted it. it. We're yeah. excited to try it. But as of right now, we say this is the best. And, I, and I, I, I would agree with that. I do think it is the cleanest and the best uh, of all the iterations of social deduction. And we're going to explain why, and then we're going to tell you how to play it. Um, so let's quickly just jump into the news. There are three exciting pieces of news. All of them are on Kickstarter this week. This is quite an exciting week for Kickstarter. It's pretty great, especially for you and me. Yeah, this seems like somebody designed a Kickstarter week just to make me spend money. So first of all, 18 Chesapeake. Now, what is that? Obviously, it's an 18xx game, but the XX is a place called Chesapeake. This is being put out. Uh, it's very rare you see 18xx on Kickstarter. Sure. It's such a niche market that I they probably imagine, like, well, we'll just get those people to pre-order the seven people who buy these games. Yeah, it's, it's such an insular community that they really don't have a problem when one of these games comes out. Everybody that plays 18xx yeah, pretty much gets it. 
Now, here's why this is exciting to you. This is being billed as the ultimate introductory 18xx game. This is being billed as the game to play first. It's a one game night, two to three hour experience that's supposed to be deep enough that you can play it again and again and again. Right. So it is 18 chess being the birth of the American railroads. It takes place uh, on the East Coast of America. Um, and I am recommending this. If you are interested in 18xx, I think this is going to be the cheapest way in for you right now in a way that you might actually get it to the table. Right? You can get 1830 right now for 60 bucks or so. But I think that's a tough first 18xx game. It's It's long. It's uh, it's got some complicated privates. Agreed. Eighteen forty six is available, isn't it? You mean eighteen seventy nine? No, oh, forty oh, six. Forty six available. Seventy nine are available. Those are the. But I think this is being billed as even simpler and even more introductory. Yeah, until we've played it, we can't say that for sure. But certainly, the the, the people that are behind it are the right. right kind of people, and the the way they're talking about this game, it sounds like a great intro. Yeah, no, you won't be getting this till February 2020 at the earliest. Always add a couple months to that. But um, if you're interested in getting into 18xx, which if you like high strategy board games, I recommend that you do. Uh, take a look at 18 Chesapeake. It is on Kickstarter right now. It is definitely getting funded. They had a $25,000 goal. They, they're at 63000 which is kind of bananas for an 18xx game which is a niche such a niche market uh not cheap 18xx never are but this is cheap for an 18xx this is 70 dollars plus whatever 15 dollars shipping i believe and while that sounds expensive that's cheap as dirt for an 18xx unfortunately you've spent more on the trays that hold the tiles <laughs> spent more on the chips <laughs> uh but, but i'm a wild man and uh nobody should ever emulate well, it sounds like you guys need, need this game for our group right because like that's kind of a problem right now is getting enough people to play the eighteen X. Potentially, yeah, yeah. Like if, mean, I'm, if I'm going to play another eighteen XX game, I'm probably going to play Chesapeake and you know change my mind. Maybe, maybe. yeah, maybe we could that, get. You never know. Um, there are going to be some some stretch goals. It's going to be a the, one of the prettier versions of eighteen XX. It's not famously pretty. If you're getting into eighteen XX for a pretty game, you're uh, you're you're definitely uh, swimming nope. up the wrong stream. Yeah. Trey, we're we're gonna we're gonna get you a second bite. Of you that have, I think you'd like eighteen seventy nine. I think I think that's about as bare bones as I've, you can I've get, had a few bites, Tom. We're we're planning on it. Uh, make it happen. Two other interesting things on Kickstarter this week. I, I promise not to always do Kickstarter news, but like I said, this is just a wildly exciting week for Kickstarter. Uh, on Mars by Vital Lacerda. Vital Lacerda is a instant back for me on basically whatever he does. The designer of Vinos and Kanban and Gallerist and Lisboa. Is there anybody here at this table? And there's four of us here. Yeah. Is there anybody at this table that does not put him in your top five designers? The answer is no. A, he, I, is, he is yeah. in everybody's top five. This is a very similar to Terraforming Mars looking theme of a bunch of people colonizing Mars. or I, I think it's actually more like uh, The Martian. I think we're trying to survive on Mars is, is the theme. But it this is a big box Vital Lacerda game. This is heavy. This is, you know, I mean, the, you always get it with a Vital Lacerda game where the playtesters say this is his masterpiece. So you got to take that with a grain of salt because they said that about every game. <laughs> Lisboa was supposed, to, was, Lisboa was supposed to be the game that makes you sell every other game. Gallerist and, was supposed to be the same thing. Right. And yep. while I love all of them, I don't think anyone... Uh, trumps the others i think they all have a different flavor and a, and a different uh, uh purpose in your game night i agree yeah they're very, they're they're all masterpieces in their own special way and for one particular 
group or one particular person, yep. one is going to scratch that it's just a little bit better than the other. So VTOL Asserted Games, like 18XX, never cheap. This is $89 uh, for one copy of this game, but it is guaranteed to be on sale at retail for $125. So this is a chance to get a $35 discount on a game. And for me, I'm definitely buying it, so I'll take that $35 I discount. I was very excited to see you back it. Good. Yeah, of course. I mean, how could I not? Uh, but it is not cheap. The last game that we will talk about in Kickstarter, Terraforming Mars, making an interesting decision to kickstart one of their expansions. I don't know why one of the top five most successful board games of the last five years is now kickstarting expansions. I have a theory. My theory okay. is this. My theory is is that it is in the top five uh, games on Board Game Geek. Yeah. Uh, it is hugely popular. Wildly successful. In, in, this, in this Board Game Geek... Uh, Euro heavy sort of niche. Yeah. I have a feeling that people that are looking to get into board games and to learn more about board games, they're going on Kickstarter. They're looking at this sort of stuff. I have a feeling right. that this is sort of a little, uh, you know, a, a little apple that's thrown into the room and everybody fights over it. That's a and good point. To pull in new people that haven't played it yet. Because it is, I think, I think as far as a gateway, it is a hard start to the gateway. But once you get into it, Boy, oh boy. It's that's almost a, a lifestyle game like Agricola could be. It's almost a game that, like this is your one game and you play this every week. Kind of, exactly. It's deep enough. But And this is all, I think what, what's actually interesting that you're pointing towards here is that I think this is actually a way for them to sell other expansions because a lot of these uh, pledge options here are all in. Exactly. So get all the expansions at a discount. So for $94, you can get everything they've ever made for Terraforming Mars, which at this point I think is... This would be the sixth. No, this would be the fifth expansion. This would be the third big box and then two little ones. Um, so for 94 bucks, you can get the base game and everything. And they are finally, and I think this is going to be something that pulls on a lot of people, giving you uh, layered player boards so your pieces don't slide around. So if you buy this version, you're going to get upgraded player boards that hold all your cubes in a little 3D thing. Matt, what which are you going to do with which your I have spent already? money <laughs> to uh, do in an aftermarket thing through Broken Token. BrokenToken.com, they make everything you're going to need for your board game supplies. Uh, they are not a sponsor of this podcast. But, are, are, um, you, are you a shareholder, though, by now? By now, you must be. <laughs> I think I keep the lights on over there, yeah. Uh, but no, yeah. It, uh, in all seriousness, Broken Token makes absolutely beautiful, beautiful, beautiful amazing. and completely unnecessary things. But, you know, a lot of people like to upgrade their game components, absolutely. and I'm one of those. But this, is, this Kickstarter is actually one of their uh, promo content is giving everybody five player boards that are nice and recessed. Yeah, I, just, I think this says more about the way Kickstarter is being used these days than this game. It's a pre-order system. Yeah, yeah. It's changed a lot in the last five years totally so take a look the, oh i will tell you briefly what this the, this is all about uh, uh setting up a government on mars so this is the political side of it not only Sexy. are not yeah not only are you going to be building mars and making sure there's enough air you're also going to be deciding what kind of governing factions are uh taking over mars and the political aspects of it I will say two things. Go ahead. I will number one. I will say that uh, adding a political um, a mini game is it could not be more up my alley. Yeah. It is. It actually looks like one of the player boards. Actually, looks like Demacher. It has the seats and the the rows. I was. And it's in a circle. Exactly what yeah. I was going to say. It looks exactly like Demacher. It does. That's the plus. That's, that's the plus. It looks really interesting. Uh, the negative I'm going to say is that there have been four expansions so far for this game. Yeah. Uh, there was uh, Hellas and Elysium, which is the new board, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, there is Prelude, which, which is I think is mandatory. Insta buy. Mandatory. You, yeah, you it, can't it, buy the game without that. It makes the game better because it gives you a variable start. And exactly. it's a wonderful, wonderful in that sense. Venus. Uh, and then there is uh, Venus. 
And then there is colonies. Yeah. And I have to say... You don't like colonies. Both Venus and colonies, I, I don't like colonies at all. Yeah. And I'm not really a big fan of Venus either. The games that add another mini game onto Terraforming Mars for me have underperformed as a play experience. I think Venus gets away with it because it actually has it adds a rule to speed up the game. I, I it's not that it plays so Venus, longer; it's that it splits yeah. focus in a in a weird way. I, I guess the one thing I'd say about Venus, and I actually have not tried Colonies yet, even though I own it. The one thing I'll say about Venus is that. There are games where that Venus board is completely unused and empty, and I've I've played games where it's totally used. So I, I think it's sure. it's an option that can be there, and I like that, and I like what it does, and I don't. And, and the fact that it they have a rule added in to make sure that every time you at you're upping one of the levels towards the uh, end game conditions makes it so that it it's guaranteed not to add more time, and it's sort of sure. up to you. Like some some players can totally use the Venus board, some can't. And I think there'll be games where it does and doesn't. Colonies, I have not yet tried, but you said I, that it just adds a whole extra game, basically, that, that detracts from it what's does. already there. I, I think when you have a tight game that, that is focused on one thing, uh, when you add a mini game, you do so at your peril. Yeah. Um, I'm dying to try this game. Yeah. All things aside, it's just my one caveat is is that so far, this, this game plays better uh, as a terraforming Mars game right. without all of this other stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, potentially. So, and also the stack of cards at this point now is is like three feet high and just sort of silly. It's fairly outrageous. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, 34 bucks if you want just this one. 100 bucks will get you everything terraforming Mars. Those are the interesting pieces of news uh, this week. And let us move on to uh, Tom has a little mini review of an exciting new game that I have not played, but I'm dying to. Folks, Matt did not have a game night, but uh, I did. I had a game night uh, on Friday, and we played uh, my my particular section of the group because we had ten people. Uh, played two things. We played a ten person Avalon that was absolutely epic, which is epic, <laughs> which is great since that's the uh, that's our main topic for today. And then the other thing, I uh, took three of the newer gamers, the lighter gamers, and we played Underwater Cities, which uh, is a game by uh, Vladimir Suhi. Suhi is how you pronounce it. Uh, he's a designer that we at GameBrain, we like a lot. Uh, we love his game Shipyard uh, from, from quite a while ago. It is, well, some, some of us love it. Trey is, Trey is suggesting that maybe he doesn't love it. I think it's a fantastic game. I really do think it's amazing. I liked Last Will a lot, too. I thought it, I, it didn't have staying power in our group, but I thought it was really fun. It's a really interesting economic game. It's a Brewster's Million-style economic game where you're trying to get rid of your money as fast yeah, as you can. Just that concept, was, and it, it, it sort of broke your brain the first few times you play it because you're trying to dump all your You're trying to lose as much money as possible, and it was, uh, it was, fun. It was definitely felt like something brand new. And I'll say two years ago when you, Trey, and I went to Essen, uh, I played his uh, Pulsar 2849. Yeah. And, and I have to say, it's one of those games that kind of got away from me. I played it. I really liked it. I had already bought seven metric tons of games. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't, I didn't buy it. And every time I go to a con now, I see somebody playing that game. And I think, oh, you know what? I really want to play that game again. I, I, and having played Underwater Cities, uh, spoiler alert, I'm probably getting Pulsar because Ooh. this guy is this guy is getting really, really good, and Underwater Cities is pretty exceptional. All right, well, I'm dying to know okay. is, is this is this worth a purchase? Should I should I open up Amazon right now? Let me tell should you, I get this? Let me tell you what it's about. Because Just tell it, me quickly, it, man. I will. <laughs> I could sell out in the next five <laughs> seconds. I got FOMO. Hurry up here. It it just came out in the United States. It has been out uh, to certain people in Europe for some time now, uh, but it just came out in the United States this week. Uh, in underwater cities, you play an underwater nation builder. You start with a single dome city, 
And by placing workers and playing cards, you expand that nation through a network of tunnels, dome cities, and other crucial structures, trying to become your own Captain Nemo of this new world, the best of the best. Um, are you building like like one of those things like in the abyss? You are building. You are building the cities in the game. Are these little plastic domes? But they're under. Okay, so you're building like you have. You have your own player mat. Everybody has. There's a central board mm-hmm. in which we place our our people for our actions. Yeah, and we grab cards. So worker placement. So on and so forth. It is a worker placement slash hand management card game. It is sounds great. It's a very interesting combination. There are 15 spaces on the board: five green, five red, five yellow. You have a hand of cards. There's 180 cards in the game, equally split between those three colors. The trick to the game is, is that when you place a worker on a green space, it allows you to play a green card. Right. Interesting. What happens when the space I have to go to... And you have a random hand of that could be broken up into any... And there are ways to cycle through your cards faster or slower. The red, green, and and all three colors are are shuffled together. You're not taking separately from the decks. They are all shuffled shuffled together, so you're not sure what you're going to get. So sometimes you may get three amazing green cards in your initial hand of six cards that you're going to discard down to three. I can't keep these three cards because if I do, I'm stuck playing only green actions because the only way to play a card from your hand is to play an action of that color. Right, of course. Right. That's so what will happen is, is I'll say I need to build tunnels right now so I can start building other cities on the board. The space that builds tunnels the best is a yellow space. But mm-hmm. guess what? I don't like the yellow card. I'm dying to play this red card that's in my hand that does this other amazing thing. So finding the synergy between your board state of your own personal map that you're making, the cards that have their own unique abilities... And the action spaces on the board is really brain burnery and a wonderful, wonderful. Is there any way. safety valve against the the randomness of not getting cards you want? Is there like I can get rid of three cards to be any color kind of a thing? There is. There is a there is a mechanic where you can basically take a non action to to cycle. So there's uh, a way. So you, you can avoid getting just hosed. It's punitive. Right. It's 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 punitive. It, 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 I'm not sure that that's the best way to play. I think sometimes people will play the action without being able to play a card. You always have you always have to discard a card if you can't play it. Mm. Sometimes that's going to be the the best move. But I think the people that play it the best are the ones that are able to find their way through these yeah. synergies. And, th- and those are usually some work. of my favorite games where you have to make lemonade out of lemons. Yeah, uh, listen, it is a brain burner. But at the same time, I played it with three people that are on the lighter spectrum of our game gaming group. And they all want to play it again. Right. It plays two, two five? to four. Two to four. Okay. Two to four. Unfortunately, we'd always love the, always the love five. That extra when have the, really helpful. Yeah. Well, when we when you get game groups that have eight, ten people in them, yeah. you know, sometimes that's a really good thing to have. Uh, I'm going to say one more thing about the game that I absolutely love and something we don't really talk about much. It's tangibility mm. uh, as opposed to abstraction. Um, your favorite game, Matt, is Twa. Mm-hmm. It's pretty abstract when you get right down to oh, it. Oh, yeah. It almost has a very pasted on theme. It right, could almost be anything. The, I mean, I love, I can on. get into the theme and I love the, you know, the, 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 the plague cubes and the, you know, the, the bad things you have to tack and building yeah. the cathedral, but it could be anything. I will say this Agricola has the, has the best tangibility of any game I've ever seen. In you the, feel in like the you are building a farm. I could come in last. I could come in dead last, but I look down and I see the I, I see the cultivated fields and I see they're growing things. I have my my little paddock and I have my animals in the yeah. paddock and Trey bling this out with with these uh, animals. Where did you get those animals from, Trey? I mean, there's so many different sources to trick out your 
Agricola sets. Yeah, but you you got it from a non-tricked-out source. You got it from an educational supply store or something like that. <laughs> I think it was amazing. It's amazing because all the That's cows early all the cow, nerdery right there. All the tiny little cows look inner, a little look a little different. I'm it's, a cheapskate. It's so. wonderful. It is wonderful. So you feel like you're doing something, and at the end of the game, regardless of how many points you score, you have a sense of accomplishment. Look at my little farm. It Ooh. did this. And are you it saying this that. game doesn't have that? No, it does oh, have it does. that. It, it, okay. In space, putting down those... Everybody those, has their own map, right? You're building yeah. your own network you are, of domes. Exactly right. connecting them. You're connecting them with tunnels. You are building... There are three different structures that you're adding to these these places. You're can adding. I put sheep in the domes? That's what I need to know. You cannot, but you can build and upgrade kelp farms. Ooh. You can build desalinization plants. Can I buy uh, kelp as a, a wooden piece that I can... They're green kelp cubes. Yeah, they're kelp cubes. There are... Uh, I, I will tell you this. <laughs> Give me there, kelp cubes, man. There are currently uh, little cardboard chits... Kelp chits. Yeah, I'm upgrading those. The moment, yeah. the moment they become upgradable to something that is plastic or wood. Meeplesource.com. Let's see if they've going to have something on that. Matt, sure. will, Matt will tell us when I'll those things are available. Going. All right. I have some questions. Go ahead. Um, uh, Tom, uh, who won this game? Uh, <laughs> oh, jeez. I, I thought uh, Scott Moore won the game. Scott won the game. Is that right? He did. Oh, jeez. Uh, okay. Here's a, here's a, a question for the group. Uh, I didn't get to play this game. Um, general question are games like Underwater Cities and ter- Terraforming Mars, is this the way that designers are, frankly, like doing um, colonialization games now, you know, without that, you know, bitter imperialist aftertaste of kind of like early board games? I was thinking that exact thing. Yes. As the brown person of the group? <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> that, that could fall into our news section. It was like GMT just had to pull back a game, right? It was kind of like an, an yeah. imperializing Struggle Africa. in Africa. Struggle in Africa. Yeah. I mean, this is kind of like board games' dark history is that they're often, you know, imperialist colonization Sure. So to find models. an ahistorical, potentially sci-fi version of giving you that feeling of conquering and colonizing. Or that, I guess 4X yeah. games do that to a certain extent, too. That's right. Oh, yeah. Um, Especially, well, at least with, the ones that aren't actually alien colonizing. Races. Yeah, exactly. Alien races. <laughs> Matt? Um, go ahead. Who built your railroad? Who built my railroad? Who built your railroad? Okay. What do you, what do you mean? Oh, I see. In 18XX. Well, who yes, built it? It would have. Okay. Yeah. You're not even paying attention to it, are well, you? No, you're busy buying shares. You've been abstracted. It does abstract that to certain. Yeah, no, completely it yeah. does. Yeah. So being able to do build things under the sea, being able to build yeah. things on Mars, we're we're, sure. we're able to. I don't have to feel any guilt about that, right? Thank right. God. Thank you, game designers, for making me feel better <laughs> about colonizing you. something. Well, and th- I think and thank you, fu- Trey, for the perfect ending to this review. <laughs> I do. I do think it's it's fine if you are. Uh, explaining the history behind it and putting context it's, it's the problem the problem comes from abstracting you know cubes as 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 the, slaves the or, yeah it's like Rico, yeah. that's when it's extremely it, th- that's when you're you're whitewashing history well and and a game in which the goal of the game is essentially when you look at it in a historical context uh the success of colon- uh, colonization mm-hmm. and uh, and colonial power and imperial power yeah um, I think there is. I think there is something to that. I think there is something to the conquering of of lands. Uh, Spirit Island. When I think of Spirit Island, yeah, that's yeah. the anti-colonialist game, which is the theme of it. Is the my sort of the only thing I like about that game because I'm just not a huge, you know, pandemic with extra rules kind of guy. But 
that, that was I bought that game on that theme alone. I loved the anti. I loved the the nature rising up against the colonialists coming to conquer it, and that that theme alone was like, oh, that's an insta purchase for me. Yeah, I was really happy that that uh, somebody thought outside of the box and said, hey, how can we make a a, a game that kind of goes against that current trend and yeah. and kind of uh, turns the tables? On Sold it. it about two weeks later when I realized it was just pandemic, but <laughs> <laughs> but hey, a lot of people love it, and it is a wonderful theme. Um, so I will finish it by saying this: I will say that. Uh, underwater cities. Uh, there is a thread on Board Game Geek, a couple threads that suggest that there is one strategy that is too powerful, mm. and that is broken uh, me- mechanism, if you will. Heavy kelp, going heavy kelp, <laughs> getting getting <laughs> a lot getting of the pieces, getting a lot of kelp, upgrading your kelp uh, 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 cities. I will say that the person who won, Scott, uh, went heavy kelp, and uh, he is it a real problem, Tom? I don't know yet. I think it's not. I think what it is like is, listen, there is no such thing as perfect balance. Horse strategy uh, in, in Great Western Trail before the, uh, before the expansion cow, was cowboys, a problem, but we didn't stop strategy. us playing it. Uh, not horse strategy, cowboy strategy. Right. Yeah, exactly. Cowboy strategy. In that, I feel like it's closer to cowboy strategy. Uh, Agricola. Uh, it is, you can do a lot of different things in the game. But you have but to do you family can, you growth. You have to do family growth. Yeah. You have to do family growth. So I think in this game, you must be kelp competitive. Okay. And then just, once you're kelp competitive, you, you, can do, you can do whatever else you want. The decision space is then what you're doing plus that. Yeah, I, I do think that it is that way so far. So far, I, I, I haven't uh, certainly one play. I cannot speak with any voice of sure, authority sure, sure. whatsoever. This game is wildly sold out everywhere at the moment. And on Amazon, you could buy it for $70, which seems like about $40 over MSRP. I don't think it is. Really? I don't think it is. I think MSRP is... No, MSRP is $49.99. So, yeah, so that, that sounds right. $20 over. Uh, and not in stock for another three weeks either, so... Oh, so, no. I know. What are we going to do? Well, you're, uh, you're going to play it tomorrow night when you come to game in. Uh, it's Passover, unfortunately. you got to take into consideration that there are Jewish people in your game group. There, there you go, Gintel. There's uh, a lot of things I was going to say right there. I'm not going to say any of them. I'm going to say uh, good Shabbos. Thank you very much. Uh, so shall we move on to the Avalon Deep Dive? Yes. Gentlemen, I'm going to hand it over to you. I'm going to pass over this microphone to Paul. The King of Avalon. <laughs> and uh, you guys can explain to me why this game isn't better than uh, Secret Hitler. <laughs> and that's the way he hands it off. All right, guys, here we go. So uh, it's a social deduction game. Let's start with that. Most of you, if you're listening to this podcast, have played social deduction games. You have played Werewolf or Mafia. You have played Secret Hitler. You have played Coup. You have played The Resistance, of which Avalon is a, is a subset. We here, we want to up your gaming. We want to take you from a game that is good to a game that is great whenever we possibly can. And we believe very strongly that the best of the social deduction games is the Resistance Avalon. I will just say briefly, one of the wonderful things about this is this is the most affordable game we will ever discuss. On Amazon right now, you can buy a copy of the Resistance Avalon for $15. And that will that and we've I mean imagine the value we've gotten out of that fifteen dollars from our copies. I oh, mean, it's amazing! Hundreds of hours. It's amazing. So I will just say it's a, one of the wonderful things about social deduction games is that they're wildly cheap. Uh, you just need enough people. And and let's also point this out: there is a type of gamer that we do not have in our game group. We do not have a party gamer in our game group, and yet around the nation, around the world, there are game nights, weekend game nights that go on every single weekend. 
of couples that get together for game night. And what do they play? They play party games. And when there are enough of them, they will play games like Werewolf. They will play games like Secret Hitler. This is a way to up that group of uh, almost super casual gamers. Yeah. They're great for family get-togethers for Christmas is when a lot of these games, or even bachelor parties or you know things like that where you have a lot of people together and, and, and not everybody's a gamer. These kind of games are great for that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, can you make a transition from the uh, Cards Against Humanity groups into Avalon? Like, is that a bridge too far? It's a, it's, it's probably a journey worth taking, though. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, well, here's the thing. There's, there's, uh, why do we game? Right. There's different reasons that we game. Most Euro games, it's to figure out a puzzle. It's to, to turn your brain onto maximum and see if you can outthink and outstrategize and and outplan. These games are very different. Half of the people in these games, they are trying to be detectives and try to figure out who is telling the truth and who is lying. The other half of the people in this game are trying to secretly get away with their agenda, right? Some of them are playing spies. Some of them are playing detectives. And there is a very, very universal um, drive in that that I think is really positive. It, It comes down to trust. Like, you know, as a whole, humans, like, really have this complex relationship with trust, like we are born uh, like needing to trust, and in the end, nothing hurts us more than betrayal. <laughs> and this game really, which is know, what appeals to you, which about. is what appeals to me exactly, Trey. Uh, and and I think this this you know these social deduction games really deal with that, and I think it really rewards. Yeah, social is the is the key word. Like we play board games for lots of different reasons, and I think of the games that we know, the one that emphasizes social. Absolutely. The most. Absolutely. That's Avalon. So whereas I might not be completely comfortable saying Avalon is the best, it's certainly my opinion, but that's certainly the best for our group. And so we're evangelical yeah. about Avalon. You know, Game Brain, you know, if you're listening to this right now, you've, you've gotten this far on this journey and you're not, you've not played Resistance Avalon, we absolutely 100% recommend you go out and buy it, uh, learn how to play it, maybe circle back to this podcast later on i mean listen to it now definitely listen to it now but then circle back to it uh, later on after you have three or four plays under your belt that'd be great trey how many times have has our group played this game do you think i'm hesitant i think you you put it at over 300 i I believe it's correct i think that's that's very safe i can't think of another game where we've had to like replace the copy of the game (laughs) multiple times huge waste of time (laughs) (laughs) on the contrary this is the best way to spend time with your friends and the value oh my god 300 games 15 dollars come on i'm kidding i'm kidding i and and it i think if i think back at our game group and our game nights i'd be hard-pressed to think of more memorable gaming moments than we've had in avalon well let's talk about our manager a guy that uh, literally brought uh, you and I together who had game nights. Yep. His head explodes. He does not like a lot of the games that we right. play, so he doesn't come here often. What is his absolute favorite game? It's Avalon, for By sure. far. Yeah, until he saw how we played it. And then he, <laughs> then he had the exact same initial reaction as mine. Is like, oh, you guys have sucked all the fun out of this and broken it down into math, basically. <laughs> Absolutely not. Completely <laughs> inaccurate statement. <laughs> Uh, but just one more thing, like, you know, one of the things that I, I think for me personally that I really love about Avalon is it really doesn't matter if I win or lose. Right. I, I think what we really what you're really building is the social interaction. And I think we just watching that transpire over the course of five uh, missions is amazing, especially if you have the uh, if you have the uh, the, the framework to, to do get there. 
Okay. So let's go over really quickly, super basic, what this game is. Uh, Avalon plays six to ten players. Each player gets a card that tells them their role. Some people are good guys. Some people are bad guys. The good guys want to succeed in these five missions. The bad guys want to fail as many of these missions as they can without getting found out. Whoever succeeds three times is going to is going to win it. How do we play the game? We think that the game plays best with seven to ten players. We, we, we're we not crazy about six. I think six is perfectly fine. Yeah, I would have said seven on. to nine. I think even after our ten-player game, that seemed like too many. It's to tough. Me on Friday. I kind of agree with that. I kind of agree with that. Seven to nine is still a pretty good range, especially because there's so few games that play that. Got it. Most people, I agree, I agree. Most people in the game are going to be normal knights of the round table. They don't know anything special. They just want to succeed in these quests. Uh, the, uh, the most of the bad guys are traditional bad guys. They don't know anything except they know who the other bad guys are and they're working to fail these missions. As far as the special cards that we play, the people that get the special roles, here are the ones that we recommend playing with. Merlin, you have to play with Merlin. Merlin's special ability is he gets to know who the bad guys are. At the beginning of the game, everybody's going to close their eyes and somebody is going to, matter of fact, later in this episode, I am going to call out something that you guys can use in your games to sort of start the game correctly. Uh, So Merlin knows who the bad guys are, which is crucial. Now, you would say, why can't Merlin then just tell everybody who the bad guys are? Because in Avalon, the great rule is that at the end of the game, if the good guys win, the bad guys have a second bite of the apple. The bad guys can figure out who Merlin is. They get one vote, one chance to say who Merlin is, and if they guess correctly... They kill Merlin, and they win the game. They snatch victory away. That is my favorite part of the game. And I think the the rule that elevates this game into masterpiece territory is just that simple fact that the bad guys always can win, no matter what happens in the game, Yep. if they just pick Merlin correctly. And they always have a 1 out of 10, 1 out of 9, 1 out of 8, 1 out of 7 chance. They could just get lucky. But that tension is so fun. Of, uh, you know, in our group, we go heads down when the game's over and all the bad guys start talking. So everybody puts their heads down so that they don't give away information like poker face kind of stuff. And then the bad guys get one shot at it, one shot at the king. And if they take him down, they win, which is awesome. You best not miss. <laughs> yeah, if you shoot at the king, you best not miss. Uh, so Merlin needs help, which is why we always play with the role Percival. Percival gets one special ability, which is he gets to know who Merlin is. Basically, everyone with their eyes closed, Merlin and only Merlin will put his thumb up and Percival gets to open his eyes and see who Merlin is. So there's one guy who knows a lot of information, but he can't say too much. And there's one guy who knows who knows. And if the two of them can communicate in some small way without anybody noticing, which is the key, they can have a real advantage. It took me a minute to understand the role of Percival when we first started playing with it. But I think simply it's just you're supposed to look like Merlin. Yeah, we'll, we'll deep dive on that a little bit uh, a little bit later. Right now, we're just going over the basics of the roles. The other special role, the only other special role that we include in the game is Mordred. Mordred is one of the bad guys, and he's the bad guy that Merlin can't see. So if there are three bad guys in the game, Merlin only knows two out of the three. Why is that amazing? That's amazing because Merlin doesn't know who's safe and who's not. If Merlin tries to hint to somebody that, hey, I'm Merlin, he could be talking to Mordred, and he could have ended the game right there for the good guys. Now, I just want to emphasize, this is just, you know, these are the uh, special roles that we've chosen for our group, for our particular skill level. 
Now, there are other roles that uh, can really basically make it easier for the good guys, make it harder for the bad guys. Uh, there are roles like Morgana, for example, who winds up looking like Merlin to Percival. And so that usually makes it a little bit harder for the good guys. Uh, if your bad guys are doing too well in your group, you could uh, put in Oberon. Yeah, I'm going to just go ahead and cut you off. Our recommendation is don't play with these roles. Absolutely. The, 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 let's not waste t- time on them. Our recommendation is these are people who say, hey, this is some variety. Let's mix it up. Like, don't actually. I, I agree with that. Absolutely, Trey. Sorry I, for interrupting you, Paul. No, that's, that's okay. That's okay. You know, I, I understand. I will just say also in this copy I'm looking at it right now, these cards are pristine. <laughs> they have never been. This is, this is my problem. Overall, when I buy games, they don't get played because I always play at yours or Tom's house. Uh, so. but, <laughs> but in our meta, like what we find is actually the bad guys win more often than uh, the good guys because Slightly, of uh, yeah. and part of it of the reason is because of our uh, our roles that we choose, but you know but correct we found that this is the most fun yes, that's right. that's that's the real reason why we picked this we're yeah, not, yeah we're, we're not really looking for a a, a perfect fifty fifty split what we're looking that's for, not the goal yeah yeah what we're looking for is what is the most interesting game if you are a normal good guy what is the most interesting game if you are a normal bad guy and we feel that this is the the perfect mix absolutely so so let's get into strategy uh first things first when we play with somebody that has never played this game before they all seem to make the same mistake which is you ask them hey are you a good guy and they're like well you know why are you asking like or let's find out or all that sort of stuff this game is not about obfuscation this game is entirely about building trust beginners they play the game cagey, and that is absolutely wrong. What you want to be doing constantly, whether you're a good guy or a bad guy, is building and engendering trust. Pointing out, hey, look, I didn't vote for that team that failed the mission badly. I voted yes. I've been yelling from the top of my lungs for, for 10 minutes about why we should have done this instead of that. You're trying to get people to see the events that are happening on the board, the events that are happening in front of you, your way. You're trying to, if you're a bad guy, you're trying to gaslight the entire table. If you're a good guy, you're trying to convince people that you figured something out. Yeah, and to that extent, like, you know, basically, uh, Avalon, there's a huge component of table image. Uh, you want to portray yourself as... Uh, a certain style, basically. For me, what I've done is I've uh, I've created a table image where I am I am actually the opposite of what Tom has described. I am the cagey <laughs> one. I am the person who you don't always know if I'm good or bad. If I if you're a good guy and you go, oh, I have to put Paul on the team, you're like, uh. If you're a bad guy, uh, yeah. If you if you if you ever have to choose me to be on your team, uh, it's it's something that I've cultivated. And the reason why I've done that is because. I want to play the game over and over again. And so consistently over the rounds, over the hundreds of times that we've played it, what we get to do is I get to be cagey whether I'm a good guy or a bad guy. So I give less information. Uh, and, and I think that's also very uh, consistent with what everyone else in our game group does. Yeah, I'm, I, I hear what you're saying. I think what you're doing is the kind of thing that somebody who's played over 200 times can do. I think if you're a new player, yeah. I would start with Tom and then like, I, I agree with that as you know, like, like a more advanced poker player. W- once you know what, once you've mastered basic strategy, then you're ready to kind of mix it up. And I think you're at the stage where you can, 
you can mix it up. And I, that's I, and I, it's I, almost like too difficult a note for somebody who's still, you know, under 50 plays. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm at the point now where I try out different personalities in the game where, okay, I'm going to be talky, jovial, jokey guy this time. I'm going to just sort of sit back and see how things go this time. And I feel like I, I've gotten to the point now where I'm not giving away too much regardless of which personality overlay I, I put on myself Absolutely. to some degree. Absolutely. But, you know, this, there, there is one other thing that associated with this is that you have to know who you're playing with. For example, if you're playing with a new player, they're going to act cagey just from inexperience sometimes. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's a... Right. A lot of your... In- what Tom's talking about here, his kind of like number one insight is that a lot of the instincts players have coming into the game are in fact wrong. And you're... And so this kind of segues to the, our number two point. Our number two big point here is that Avalon has a lot in common with poker. You've already used the term uh, table image. Absolutely. I think table image is really important in this game. Um, another thing that's really important is table position. You know, where are you in the table in relation to who's picking the team? You know, knowing who has the power position to pick the team uh, every, every round. And then, again, like you're, you're mentioning kind of like a poker aspect here of like when you're looking at another player on the table – you really have to be considering what is this player's level of experience. They're doing a lot of things right now that make me think that they're a spy, or they might just be new. And new players do that kind of thing that and Tom's keep- talking about where they don't build trust, and you're like, okay, is this just new guy bullshit? Or <laughs> so first you- bleep. <laughs> <laughs> so you always have to keep that in consideration. Yeah, and you talk to them like they're little deer. Like, it's okay. It's all right. No, I think uh, I think you made some very good points there. Here, let me talk about blah blah blah. So maybe like the same way in poker that you you have a table image in which you you don't want to be giving away what your role is by what your external personality is. If you're only quiet when you're a bad guy, that's a problem. Um, yep. And so your starting point again, if we're kind of like looking at this of like where your starting point in the game should be before you start to mix it up is you actually, I would say as a starting point, try to be consistent from game to game in terms of what, what are you presenting outwardly when you play? You cannot allow yourself to be quiet when you're playing Merlin, which is a real temptation or a bad guy. These, these can be big tells. So you, you, so what should everybody be pretending to be? All right. So this is strategy insight. Number three, I would say, um, kind of a core insight of the game is that everyone should be playing the game as if they have a basic blue identity card in front of them. We have all these different roles. We have Merlin, we have Percival, we have bad guys, but outwardly you should be representing that you are just a basic blue person and your behavior should be a good guy. Blue night. Yes. Blue, blue means uh, a good guy. So anything that you do that counters this narrative is giving away information that can lose the game. It also can kind of help you when you're a bad guy and you're thinking, okay, what do I need to be representing here? What would a basic blue person be doing? Because if you're Merlin, you you don't want to look like Merlin. Yeah. And basic blue people all the time will do things that make them seem less basic blue. And if I'm a if I'm one of the bad guys in the game, I'm going to be harping on that. I'm going to be saying, why did you say that? Why did you do that? And as a side note, like, you know, I think most beginners feel like when they get a basic blue person, they're, they're not going to have them, uh, an interesting game. They're going, oh, I'm just, I'm just basic blue. Mm-hmm. But actually, what we found in our game uh, is that basic blue is the most nuanced character to play. Most challenging. It, it's actually 
like you want to get basic blue in some ways because it makes you better at the game. Well, you're a detective. You are. Yep. De- you have no information at the beginning, and by the end of the game, you can go on this amazing journey where you go through theory A to theory B to theory C, and at the end of the game, you catch the bad guys. There is there is no better experience than a successful basic blue play. At the same time, like you know, towards the end of the game, you actually can't. You have to sort of pretend that you're Merlin a little bit. You have to provide cover for Merlin if you can. If you can, definitely. But what you can't do is make it make it clear that you are basic blue. So so Trey, what are the what, what are the things that you should do if you want to play like you're basic blue? If you want to play like you are a clueless knight who is just trying to figure this out, what are some tips? Okay, so your the core thing you are doing as a basic blue player is you're searching for the bad guys. Like this is your core MO. So um and that's legit. Like that's um you, you're always looking, you're always trying to f- kind of call out inconsistencies. Now, what you call out as inconsistencies and what you think are inconsistencies, those are not the same thing. And, I would, and I'm curious what you guys think. I think one of the things I do when playing the game now is I'm kind of keeping a running tally in my mind of things that people have done. And if any of them signal that a player is special, I just classify that as special, mm-hmm. you kind of file that away. because, And you don't necessarily want to say it. Right. Because... If you're a basic blue guy and I'm seeing some behavior from someone that is, I would consider like weird or special, I might, if I call it out, I might be outing Merlin. You know, that, that's, that's the danger if I'm Absolutely. seeing something, something weird. So you have to kind of keep track of, okay, that seems kind of spy, but it could be Merlin-y too. But I think dividing in your brain players who you think might be specials versus those that I can categorize as basic blue um, is helpful. Yeah, I, I think, listen, at, at the end of the game, it's a deduction game, and there are only four things we can use to deduce the proper information as to who everybody is. First is behavior, right? We get to look at your behavior. We get to see, do you have a tell? Are you acting differently than you normally act? Which is exactly what Trey's talking about now. Uh, two is how do you vote? When you're putting together a mission, how did you vote? The more information, we'll get to that a, a little bit later, but that's a, a second thing. How you have voted and your voting history can tell you a lot about what a player's uh, allegiances are. Three is, were you on missions that succeeded or failed? And then four is the Lady of the Lake. The Lady of the Lake gives a tremendous amount of information as well. We, we'll, get, we'll get to all of these, but really there is nothing beyond those four things in order for you to successfully determine good from bad, and, uh, and that's really key. So I think the next thing that kind of springs out of this kind of basic blue um, mindset of or basic strategy for for playing the game is at the core of basic blue is that a basic blue player is does is not certain of anything and, and so this would be strategy number uh, strategy insight number four is like embrace uncertainty and I mean that in a couple of different ways one um, it is okay to play hunches in this game but you need to be able to abandon them real quick instantaneously in in light of new information right i do tend to start off with okay look this is the poker player in me but i'm not really crazy about the way matt is acting right now there's something a little weird about that uh paul i have no read on paul yet so i'm gonna leave him out of the equation and i'll just sort of go around and give my own little heat map of what's going on now if i'm a bad guy i'm doing that with a plan in mind 
I'm doing that with a, I want to throw the tiniest bit of aspersion this way so that I can build on that later. If I'm a good guy, sometimes I'm saying that to try and get a reaction, to try and elicit a reaction from somebody and to get a sense of, is this person reacting very, very strongly against uh, against the suggestion that they're bad? Generally, I find that, that the bad guys tend to have sometimes stronger reactions than your your basic blues do to any suspicion on them. Right. Dimitri, right. <laughs> so, yeah, again, going back to the base, the thing about basic blue is you don't know who anybody is. You are, you are in a mental state of uncertainty, and that's fine. Um, I would say in this game, actually be very suspicious of people that are certain of anything. Again, I mean, certainty is an indication of specialness. Of knowledge. Right. <clears throat> of knowledge. Of knowledge. And so a lot of times I think, uh, and maybe this is kind of like a new player problem, again, is that people are going to play their hunches and they're going to act real certain about them. And yes. this, is actually, uh, this is actually a problem. If you're basic blue, it is completely okay to say, I don't know. Why did you pick that team? I, right now I have no information. This is just my first general read. I, I'm not vouching for the people I'm putting on my team because I don't know. Like you can say I don't know a lot and, it, and it's fine. And I would say be suspicious of people that seem real certain of, of things. And the corollary to that is do not overplay information that you get. Uh, there will be times in the game where we will see that a mission has failed and we will say, well, there were three people on that mission. Clearly one of them was a bad guy. And the reality is, is no, that is not clear. There could have been two bad guys on that mission. There could have been all three of those guys Guys could have been bad guys if you're playing with, with uh, three bad guys on the team. Uh, odds are there's only one bad guy, but there's a big difference between saying there's one bad guy on the team and there was probably one bad guy on the team. And the more and more we play it, the more we play with those edge cases where we start putting purposely putting two bad guys on the team, which creates its own communication issue, but can have great benefits because everybody assumes that this is, you know, it's, it's the old Sherlock Holmes thing. The assumptions are, are the death of deduction. Definitely. We're playing against our own meta. Correct. Paul, you're really good a lot of times when we're playing this game of pointing out the kind of logical inconsistencies because people, and I can be guilty of this, of where we can look at a circumstance and say, you know, it is just really highly unlikely that this is the case, that there were two bad guys on this team. The problem is, is that's not zero. That is not zero. And, and bad, you know, and, and the other players will use that information against you. Yes, I will use that against you. <laughs> but listen, which is absolutely true, I try to put a number. I try to say, look, I think that based on the information we have, there is a 80% chance, 90% chance that there was just one bad guy on that team. And try it, right. and try and assess it that way. It's a good thing for people to get their head around. And, and listen, whether you agree with it or not, you can argue about it. It, it gives some sort of uh, shape to the probability that we're trying to craft here. Now, that said, do identify when something is logically 100% true. Absolutely. That's, that's a key thing. If you know something is factual, this person or this person, like A or B has to be a bad guy. When it's binary, definitely harp on that. Lady of the Lake. Yeah. Uh, the Lady of the Lake is a mechanism in Avalon, which means after the second mission is done, whether it succeeds or whether it fails, one character will have the Lady of the Lake card, and they will hand that card to one other player. That, car, that person will then pass them uh, a one of two cards, a card that says, I am a good guy or I am a bad guy. And they cannot lie about that. 
when a Lady of the Lake gets these cards, looks at them, and says, I have the Lady of the Lake, I looked at Paul's card, Paul is a bad guy. That immediately becomes a 50-50 proposition. Well, not really. No, it's not even a 50-50 no, well, The 100% thing we know at that point is that at least one of them is a spy. Correct. That we, is the 100% thing we know. Absolutely. It could there's be no, that. There's no time where two, bad, two good people will yeah. call the other one out. And by the way, we, we use spy and bad guy interchangeably. Yeah. Uh, so it could be that I'm a spy and I'm lying about Paul trying to throw him under the bus, which is often is done frequently, <laughs> frequently. Uh, it could be that I'm a good guy and I've successfully found a spy in Paul, or it could be that both Paul and I are spies and we're playing some advanced, advanced game. One thing it can't be is that I am a good guy and Paul is a good guy. And I have said that he's a spy because a good guy can't do that. It's not, it's not possible. All right, so kind of circling back around, so you, you will be a better player by holding your own hunches in very low regard. Um, and that's kind of the uncertainty thing again. You know, if you think you can detect a lie, I think studies have shown you're wrong. For one thing, <laughs> like even cops have high certainty that they can detect a lie. They go and test it. It's, it's not true. Nobody so has great. some magical lie detection. It, it should only be um, a starting point. I'm, what I'm, is, I'm really good at it. I, yeah. I just want you to know. I, I'm, I am as well. Uh, yeah. yeah. So pa- I think Paul, and, should, I, Paul and I are the exception to the rule, though. We want to make sure you understand. Almost everybody except for Paul and Tom right. are really, really, they think I, they're better I, at I lying detection than I they think, are. I'm guessing you're both lying right now. <laughs> <laughs> and you'd be wrong. <laughs> the thing you should put a lot more weight on, though, are logical inconsistencies. That's not the same thing as... Like I det- I've got a vibe that somebody is lying. When somebody actually is arguing something and it doesn't make sense and it breaks down and they have trouble actually justifying it when you press it on them, that is a much more reliable tell. And there's a reason for this, which is that if you're a good guy, you're a good guy. That's an easy story to remember and you're representing it the entire time. And you're searching and you don't know things, but your story is pretty straightforward as far as what you're doing. When you're a bad guy, you're actually constructing a fiction in which you are a good guy. And, and you're starting to take all the information that's happened in the game and structure this narrative that other players, blue players, would believe that will include you as a, as a good player. That's rather complex. Yes. And it's easy for that to, not easy, but it can break down. And when you can determine that this is broken down and that someone's struggling to kind of make their narrative make sense, that is often a very good indication that somebody is bad. Pet scans of the brain. They're, they can tell when a person is lying if they're in a positronic emission scanner because they notice that the brain is more active when a person is lying. They literally, their brain needs to do more work to perpetuate and create a lie than it does to tell a truth. And you can, to some degree, detect that when a person has said a logical inconsistency. Are the final ins- oh Paul did you want to say something nope the final kind of like big core insight I identified in the game and I'm not even sure like you guys might disagree with me on this I would say that you know bad guy strategy or minions and mortgage strategy really should be focused about finding Merlin it's yeah. nice when you can win the game on missions but the more you play you, you realize that bad guys really about finding Merlin that- I-, I totally agree with that I think like in the end there are always more blue players, more good players uh, than uh, bad guys. And chances are 
the good guys are going to rally at some point and figure out who the, the bad guys are, especially when the Lady of the Lake is in play. Uh, so as a bad guy, at least the way I play, I'm trying to incite Merlin to give up more information than he should. I'm trying to find a way to manipulate the conversation or the voting or whatever in order to... You're trying to force Merlin to intervene to succeed on the mission level and out themselves Absolutely, absolutely. That that's exactly which what, is exactly what happened, frankly, in like in our last game on yeah. Friday, right? That, that that is absolutely it, what happened. Like in uh, the very first vote, in fact, there were only two people who voted no on the first mission, which had bad guys on it, and those two people were Merlin and Percival. Oh no! Well, I think what uh, Trey's referring to is when David Gilson says, "I have information; these people are bad," <laughs> and basically saying, "I'm either Percival or Merlin." Correct. Uh, yeah, good players have to actually kind of risk outing Merlin sometimes in order to succeed on the mission level. Absolutely. Which is, again, what happened on Friday night. I was basic blue. I was completely clueless. Uh, I, did, I had to do what you don't want to do is basic blue, which is essentially like reveal your cluelessness to everyone because there was a real danger that we were going to lose the game on missions. And I was actively... Which is, for information. which is a little bit of a corollary to what we were saying about basic blue strategy, which is you do want to have an open mind. You do want to be able to play like you're a clueless person. But when you start to gain information, when you start to feel like you have a little bit of footing with what's going on, you want to ramp up to being more and more convinced and more and more sure in what you're saying. Because what you're doing is you're providing cover for Merlin. If what, you can. If you can, if, if you can, can, if you can, if you can, the best thing you can do as a basic good guy who doesn't know anything is to appear to be one of these guys that is somebody who was Merlin and was hiding in the first part of the game and then comes out when he feels like he has to later in the game and seems to know what's going on. If you do that, then the bad guys are going to have to include you in their Merlin calculation. The more people are included in that Merlin calculation, the harder it is for them to win. I think like so, you know, as a bad guy, you kind of know that you've played a good game when you can pretty much deduce uh, Merlin to a coin toss. When you yep. identify this is Merlin, uh, uh, this is either Merlin or Percival, and these two people. And if if you've done that, you've done your job. Like it's really hard to really figure out who uh, Percival and Merlin are like a hundred percent of the time. It's, it's impossible actually, but unless, unless Merlin and Percival have not communicated well, <laughs> in which case, boom, you're off yeah, to the races. I, and and that that should be your goal. I mean, I think the premium goal though, is for you to get, uh, as the bad guy is to get, uh, Merlin in such a terrible position where Trey says, I am Merlin, please don't pick these guys. And then everyone looks at Trey and says, Oh, you're a bad guy. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's what you're that, that's what you're hoping for it, but like, but in jest, like you know, they're really uh, the coin flip is probably the best, the best version, right? And, and I have such a healthy respect for this game that you really shouldn't feel bad about that coin flip. It really Absolutely. is a coin flip a Absolutely. lot of times, but that's also why we're we're pointing that the bad guys in our group probably win slightly more than blue, but that's because generally the bad guys we've played enough where you can get it down to a coin flip. exactly and in, in like the criticism of my game even though blue team did win on <laughs> on freddy night was that thanks, thanks to you by the way just just wonderful play 
No, no, no. I, it was, it was <laughs> not a great. It was not a great game by me. We did we did end up winning, but I did the thing I don't want to do is basic blue, which is that I eliminated myself from the discussion of potential Merlins. Yeah. You guys did get it down to a coin flip. You lost the coin flip. Yep. But that's why we would expl- like if you can get it to a coin flip, you're going to win more games than you lose. And just a comment of our uh, last game, the epic game, like. It was a comedy of errors. Like, you know, bad guys did a whole bunch of things that were like, oh, that was not the optimal move. And, wait, and, you, know, and you know, the blue team were going, I don't know what's happening. This is, I'm doing the, It was so fun to watch. Just, and and it, it made such great tension. So uh, even when people aren't playing optimally, like I, you know, you, this game really shines. Okay. Again, at least. Let's get to voting. Yes. Um, so... Each round, we're going to have to pick a team, a team of two, three, four, or five, uh, five players. Everybody gets to vote on whether, on whether or not the, the team goes, and you have five chances to do it. The fifth vote, everybody has to vote yes, otherwise the bad guys automatically win, right? This is one of those, this is probably the biggest piece of information that you have for most of the game. Really figuring out who the bad guys are is going to be paying attention to and tracking. For us, after every single vote, we say, stop, wait, don't pull your things back yet. Who voted no on that? Who voted yes on that? It becomes crucial because you can piece it together. You're like, wait, why did you vote yes on this team, but you voted no on that team? What is your reasoning for that? And most of the time, that is where that is where a, uh, one of the bad guys will become unmasked. Yeah, and you're saying... you're. And it's, you're not really even tracking yeses and nos. You're really just tracking yeses. Because yeses are the, the f- far more interesting. So here's the other thing. So uh, new guys, uh, new players to the yep. game, tend to vote yes too much. We think that, and, and by the way, I, I disagree with the meta of our game a little bit. I think we are too no heavy. So here's the paradox. The paradox is that ideally... Good guys want to see a lot of votes. They want to have, they don't want the first team chosen to go because then we're not getting any information. What we want to do is we want to see a series of three or four votes each time in order to be able to, in order to be able to get some, get a body of information, in order to get a database together that shows, okay, that was a little weird. That was a little weird. That was a little weird. If it's, if it happens in just one vote, you've gotten almost no information. This feels like a good point for me to chime in because this, this to me is the, the section of the game that I find the least interesting and the part where I check out. So in the first few rounds of Avalon, our meta is to vote yes is to play incorrectly. I know you just said you think we are a little too no heavy, but to me it feels the first few votes, it's just always, and, it, and I'd say 90% of the time this is true, it comes down to whoever is last in turn position, so wherein the, one of those last two people has to have their group go or else the bad guys automatically win, which to me feels like everybody between them is basically just, is somebody going to make a mistake is the only information that is, that is available there. And that to me feels, A, not fair to new players because they're gonna. And then, then what's the point? Then we're just sort of singling out new players mm-hmm. and waiting for them to tip more information than they should. And if there are no new players, there's literally no information to, to glean because everybody's going to vote no. And then it's just going to come down to So why not just jump right to the last two people every time? Well, so the truth of, the, the truth of what you're saying is this, is that if everybody votes no unless they're on the team, 
you get no information. Correct. You get literally no information. So that defeats its own purpose. If, however, we say that our predilection should be no, but increasingly, so in the very first vote, if you're not on the team and you want to vote yes, have a good reason for it. Have Because you're going to be questioned about it and be able to defend it. Right, I have a really strong impulse that that person too. But I would say that. But that's just a hunch, then, which is a mistake. Not necessarily. I'm just saying that that for the first team that's proposed, I would say my threshold for voting yes on a team I'm not on is 10 percent of the time I'll do it. The second vote, it jumps up to 20 percent. Third vote for me. You mean third proposed group? Third proposed group in the first round. In the same round. Okay. In the exact same round. There has not been a team chosen yet. Yeah. By the third vote, me personally, I think we are still, I think we play incorrectly. I think that we should, between the third and the fourth vote, we should pick our team. The reason is, is that the fifth vote, if the fifth team goes, we provide no information whatsoever because everybody it's has to vote It's just going to be whoever yes. that person is and a But the real information guess. is on the fourth and the third vote then, right? I mean, I think we're doing, I think we're doing this. I, I think you've got a valid concern there. I guess for me, it's just I have I have a, a bad habit of pulling out my phone during that first round or two and just checking out because I don't feel there's any meaningful decisions. Okay, but... That's I, a, I'm saying it's a bad habit. That's kind habit, of like saying I, as a poker player, I'm not watching other players when I'm not in the hand. You know, like you, you should be watching and paying attention through the whole time. I'm sorry if, if you're checking out, but I always feel like I'm getting information okay. and maybe because I am well, a more experienced well, player, I don't... I don't need to be the one injecting chaos into this. Other people do it very routinely, so why do I need so, to do that? So then, so then what – help me – Paul is nodding, by the way. Help me find something fun for me in that first round. What, what should I be looking for? Okay, so first round, let's, let's say flat out we are grasping at straws. Mm-hmm. We have – the only information we have before the first vote happens is behavior which is notoriously unreliable, yep. very difficult to determine, right? Only a few people know anything, and they are holding their cards super close to the vest, right? And it seems that whoever, the, the, the louder the person is there, the more guilty they look, the more spyish they look, the, <laughs> more, the more they have hunches or certain of things are, oh, Dimitri looked at me funny there, guys. That's not the way Dimitri plays. Sometimes, but... There's a, po- a poker note. You've, you can say to you in the back of your head, I'm seeing a performance. Why am I seeing a performance here? Sure. I would say that that uh, my main style of play, I try to throw out ideas. I try to say my gut instinct. Here's here's some gut instincts, just to put a little to put something in the pot besides just water. No, that's that's a great point because that's that's a really good thing to do because in a sense, you're leading a discussion that Merlin can't have, right? Like you you like you can sometimes get confirmations on stuff without as a basic blue player or whatever, like Merlin can kind of confirm it without actually revealing them. Correct. If Merlin, if Merlin says, I don't like Matt and Matt is a bad guy, that is, Matt is going to remember that for the rest of the game and probably pick Merlin and vote him out. If, however, I, as a basic blue player, as a total normal guy that doesn't know anything, says, I got a weird feeling about Matt, Merlin can totally say, yeah, you know what? I kind of, Maybe a little bit too. I'm not really sure well, yet. Well, Merlin can speak with the votes, with his own vote. Right? Correct. His correct. Or own vote. You're giving him cover to vote no on something. You're giving him a situation, a situation like that. Um, Paul never says anything during the first round. Paul always just. I don't think I've ever seen you do anything, give any stimuli, give any information. I feel like for the whole first round, you just wait for people to make a mistake, which to me is correct play, but also boring play. 
<laughs> Thank you, Matt. <laughs> uh, I personally do not inject a lot of anything in the first round because there are people in our group who do. Like I, I, I'm, I'm actually doing what I think is best for me, which is to watch everyone. I'm watching everyone all the time in the first round. Paul is uh, holding the space for us. I'm holding a space for uh, everyone. But yes, I'm, I'm watching everyone. But everyone should. I think you're playing correctly. So I think like all, all we're really doing is just taking advantage of like Dimitri and his inability it's, to it's be not, quiet. It's not true. What, what, what Trey and I just said is by me throwing things out there, by throwing some things that maybe are random. I mean, in a, occasionally I will I play. I've played a lot of poker in my day. Occasionally I will get a little sense like there's something just a little bit off about the way he's acting right now. That it, maybe it means he has a fifty-two percent chance of being what I say he's doing, as opposed to forty-eight. It's still, just, it's just still file, file it away. It's yeah, still, it's I mean, not, in, in our game from Friday, Nick was voting yes on missions he wasn't on. It was suspicious. Turns out he was bad. Correct. In the end, so that that information had meaning. Correct. In so the, so in throwing the things, so, but he misplayed. Maybe. maybe so the only and reason I, and, you and got totally information your, is because he played poorly. <laughs> I'm, okay, but that doesn't mean that I should play poorly, right? <laughs> right but, that's, that's, but, that's my but, position. But so if let's, everybody let's, is let's, at the same level, then it's a pretty boring first round. But Matt, you said that the, the proper play is to shut up in the first round. I'm saying no, it's not. I'm saying the proper play, if you don't know what's going on, is to throw some things out there to give, to give Merlin cover. But if cover. anybody responds to that, they are playing suboptimally. No. I, I think everyone's got to respond to that because we're building trust in this game. T- staying silent and saying nothing is the opposite of building trust. I think that is the that is the wrong play is to is to have somebody say there's something a little weird about the way you're acting and for you to say nothing. I think that no, let, is let's get that people is, on the record. You know, what did you notice? What do you think? You know, like get get people talking. This is like you don't know what's going to be fruitful. Exactly. Early on. Well, exactly. I'm building a I'm building a database of of information that is going to lead to the to the discovery of the traders in our midst. I think Matt to, to your to your point, you're saying if everyone plays, you know, per our paradigm, uh it's almost robotic. It doesn't it's the, the, yeah. the, the the game doesn't start until uh the lady of the lake picks someone basically. Uh and I agree with you actually. Uh but no one in our like our group doesn't do that. In fact, I don't think we ever get to that steady state where everyone plays. The same. I, I even am, am changing my my paradigm a bit. I will go straight off, like you know, before the game starts. It goes, I'm going to play a little crazy today, everyone, and you know, and people have to adjust to that. So I guess, and and this is not something that just I brought up. I've noticed that almost any time we play for the first time with somebody, like when we introduce Jake to this game or things, that everybody has the same like. Well, nobody knows anything. So what, why are there rules in the first round? It's all chaos. Let's just, let's just try stuff that, you know, I've, I've noticed that of every time we introduce a new player. And I guess I never really get away from that feeling as well. So I guess for me, what I need to do is give myself permission to play how I want to play in the first round or two. Because to me, sure. to just say no, because if I don't, it's a mistake. But, I, you're, but you're not doing the thing that Tom said. You're not building trust right? by doing that. And you're not getting information. Yeah. By doing that. So you're undermining your own kind of credibility. So I'm, I'm just saying like, I'm going to leave that to others. So in case we didn't say it explicitly here, the kind of core idea about why we do this is, especially in the first round, why would I vote for a team that does not include me? Like right. that's, that's your starting point. Right. And okay? you shouldn't. And you shouldn't. Right. Okay. But people do it all the time. Um, and, and frankly, 
we, in our dynamic, I feel very strongly that we need to vote yes on more teams that do not have us. But then you're admitting in, that it's in, only a hunch, and and I think and I think we I think that's okay. But yeah, on a sliding least, or, scale, the, I'll say this, the closer we get to the the closer we get to that vote five, the more yeah. the more we need to be opening that up. I mean, I, I think like to to make it really simple, I think our group internalizes that we should only vote uh, for teams that have us on it in the first round. But we can vary that. I think I think that's ultimately like if if you're just doing random stuff, that's bad. If you you know, if you internalize the fact that like, oh, there is a mathematically optimal play, I'm going to choose to not play that optimal play to create uh, a more interesting play. I think that's I think that's a totally valid way to go. And and let's let's face it. In poker, it's no different. In poker, I am determining whether or not you are you have the cards or you are bluffing. And yeah, but I have I have a lot more information to go on right off the bat in poker. I have I have the flop. I have my hand. I have probability. I have a lot of things that I can be basing on. I have I have your betting patterns. In the first round of Avalon, I have literally just shots in the dark right when you sit down at the poker table and you're just starting to play i have no betting pattern well yeah i, mean, I have but, no but, but it's not fun just, before you dealt cards in poker no no, no, either. No, no, no. no what i'm saying is is the is is that first couple hours of a poker tournament that i've been in many many times it is you are building up a database and it is yeah, it is extent, it is but... it is difficult. You're trying to figure out. Okay, this guy. This is the way this guy acts when he has a hand. This is the way this guy acts when he doesn't have a hand. I'm starting to put together a little something. I, I see start, what you're saying. I'm seeing yeah. the way he's betting now is different than the way he was betting before, and I'm paying attention to that as well. Where the first round is the first round is the hard work of the game. You are you are doing a lot of work to get very little data, but that data is crucial because it's the, it's the it's, I can it's see what that. you're it's what you're building off of. i guess to me the game becomes I, I i find that i'm always awake and interested in the game after the first lady of the lake that to me is when it becomes now we have action now there's now there's arguments now there's factions now there's there's now there's binary choices one of them is bad things like that that to me is when it gets now there's a game to play well our, our information has jumped exponentially it right. is true so, I, so I, if you're a new player, just the, the takeaway from this is when in doubt, vote no. Mm-hmm. And there's a g- good reason for that, which is that, and maybe this is a, um, something to understand, is that you can always justify a no vote, mm-hmm. especially if you're not on it. Even if you're on a team, you can justify a no vote. It's something you sometimes see new players do is like, why'd you vote no on that? It's like, well, I, you can always justify no. No sure. is actually a very good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so don't, you know, if in doubt... Vote no, especially early on. Now, the thing is, is that we were starting to talk about it. Like, once it gets around to, like, this is the third team, and this is a poker thing, is like, know who is in the hammer. You know, who, know who, is, who is number five, and then start right. working back from that. Trey has, the, Trey has the first choice to choose a team. I have the second. Paul has the third. Matt has the fourth. Dimitri has the fifth. Dimitri is in the power position. If Dimitri keeps voting no and these missions don't, these teams don't go, Dimitri will be able to pick a team that nobody can reject. Right? That is power. That is that is power in poker too. It's the difference between it's the difference between playing on the button or playing under the gun. And, and so I want to know his team before Correct. I vote on Matt's team or maybe even before I vote on Paul's team because that's I think you're right like the first two rounds it's going to be hard to get me to vote yes but on that number 3 I'm I'm now yes eligible 
but hopefully I've gotten some information and I get it often enough, Matt, just to say that like, I still get enough information from doing this that I don't see any reason to change it. And cause it's just cause other people aren't playing the way I am. So. I want to, I want to keep the, uh, the, the talk moving. So can we move into evil strategy? Yes. Okay. You're a bad guy. Here's what you're looking Let's at. Let's not call them evil. <laughs> Let's just call them red. <laughs> Alt good. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to discriminate okay. against evil to be, people, Matt. To be clear, Matt is saying that there are, there are good people on both sides. Uh, here we go. To be clear, I'm not saying that. <laughs> um, bad guys like to work alone. It is true. If two bad guys end up on the same team, there becomes this little issue. Like, we haven't really had a chance to physically talk to each other. So who is going to vote this? Who is going to fail this mission? In each mission, the people that are on the team get two cards. They get a success grail and a fail grail. One fail grail fails almost any mission. There are, there are occasionally a space uh, that will require two fails to fail a mission. But for the vast majority of, uh, of times, one fail fails a mission. The worst thing, absolute disaster for the bad guys, is there are three people on a team, two of them are bad guys, and they both fail the mission. The good guys have gotten a tremendous amount of information. They know for a fact two of those three guys are bad. That means they've almost won the game right there. I mean, you can almost you can almost give it up. They're they're going to get away with murder from this point out. So, bad guys like to work alone because you want to avoid that situation. You want to avoid that situation of is it going to be me or is it going to be the other guy? Now we have a convention that we play in our group where if Mordred is one of those bad guys. Mordred does not fail the mission. It is up to the other guy to fail the mission. The idea being that it's Mordred's job to to stay hidden and all that sort of stuff. That said, it wasn't too long ago that we realized that Paul thought the convention was the exact opposite. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that would be me. Well, there's a broader point there about the evil player should be protecting Mordred. Right? Correct. The evil player should be protecting Mordred. But Mordred is the only one that Merlin doesn't know about. As long as Mordred stays hidden, right? I would rather, as a, as a bad guy that Merlin knows, I would rather out myself and be basically knocked out of the game in order to protect Mordred from being discovered. Because once Mordred's discovered, Merlin's got a much better game to play. All of a sudden, he knows for sure exactly who the bad guys are, exactly who the good guys are. He can start to to secretly signal the other the other good guys and let them know who, who they are. He's basically has a free hand now as long as nobody is, is watching what he's doing. There's a lot of ways to play a lot of games once you find that out. Another thing, buying loyalty. Uh, if I am a bad guy and I have Lady of the Lake, I am I have a pretty good chance that I'm going to give this Lady of the Lake to a good guy, and I am 90% likely to say that that good guy is a good guy, right? Because everybody likes to be validated, and it is going to make that person trust me more. It is going to make other people trust me more. Invariably in our group, somebody will say, that doesn't prove anything. He could definitely be a bad guy, to which I'll say, absolutely, I'm not. But absolutely, that could be true. Buying loyalty is a huge, huge thing. And I would expand it. It's not just a Lady of the Lake thing. True, true. I would say, okay, Matt, if I'm talking to you and you're blue, and like we're trying to figure things out, yep. and we've been in, we're in you know, a couple rounds, three rounds into the game, and we're, things are starting to shake out, and I say to you, like, I think... I think you're good. 
Yep. Like let's the start starting point of my team is you know you're good and now we got to figure out the third third. I, thing. I get a dopamine rush from that right there. That's right. Like, oh, Trey likes me. That's a good feeling. But it's also like I'm telling the truth. Yeah. Right. Like I'm being truthful with you. I'm expressing you know, like back to Tom's first point about you know um, build, building trust. Um, saying be a little suspicious of that, but you kind of need to do that as a good player sure. too. Like I'm doing that as a good player, but it's also really good as a, as a bad player. It's like, yeah. okay, we got to figure out this third person here, but I believe you. Yeah. And so like now we're a group yeah. and that, that can work uh, a lot. And we're times. taking advantage of our, uh, our biological instincts of wanting yeah. to be a part of a tribe. And, and, and when somebody says you're bad and you're not that, that actually, I mean, that's one of the rare cases in our gaming group where I will actually feel actual emotions of anger and like, you know, oh, yeah. and, and I mean, the minute the game ends, it disappears. Like, you know, <laughs> it just fades into the ether. It's not, it's not a permanent feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but in the moment, if like when Dimitri says, when Dimitri has these moments where, uh, and we haven't gotten to Dimitri episode yet, but you'll get to know him. But he, when he has these moments where he just says you're evil and he, and he, and he goes, Matt's bad. He did this. And you know, you're not. And you now know he's bad. It it brings up rage, or you know, Dimitri you. is colossally incorrect. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes, or, yeah, sometimes he's also on your side and just totally blowing it for the whole team right now. <laughs> like on the side note to Dimitri, hashtag non gamer. Uh, I'd like to say that like he is the person who beats me the most at this game. Yep. When he like you know you can lose, you can win, but. It feels, you know, this game is great when you get beaten as well. And Dimitri is the one who consistently beats me because I just underestimate him. And he's, he's quite good uh, and cloaked. Especially at, he'll catch the logical inconsistency of your argument. I will he, say this as well. Dimitri's a good poker player. I've played poker with Dimitri. I think that's part of what makes him really good at this game. Dimitri is a solid poker player. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's good. He's good. I, I, I invited Dimitri into the, into the monthly tournament that I, that I go into and he still goes. Um, yeah, I, listen, Dimitri pointed out something very interesting at one of these games about a year or two ago that really kind of changed our perspective on this, which was if you get too many no votes for a mission for a group, that's sometimes a really good sign. Mm -hmm. If you get too many yes votes, it means most of the bad guys voted, voted yes on that mission. And that really that was a that was a revelation that Dimitri came to. We'd already we'd already been a couple hundred games into this, and we were like, "Oh, that makes total sense." That's right. It really played out on Friday, right? Like we had a number of missions <laughs> yeah, that are like just failing, and it's like those teams were probably good then, right? Like that's absolutely, absolutely. Um, another way of buying, buying loyalty is who you put on the team. It's like, look, yeah. look, I know, I know, we're, I, I, I know, I'm good. I'm pretty sure you're good. I think this is the this is the basis for the team. And if you're doing that with somebody that is later up in the voting order, you're you're essentially neurolinguistically programming them to to possibly pick you on their team going forward. So that's another way we can do that. Uh, another evil strategy: Merlin hunting. You are looking for Merlin. You are look you are paying very very close attention to who voted no on missions with with bad guys on it. Because it is very, very hard for Merlin to vote yes on a team that has a known bad guy on it. Also, pay attention, ignore Mordred, right? If Mordred is on a, is on a mission and it doesn't matter whether or not Merlin voted yes or no because they don't know that yet. But the two bad guys, pay attention to who is voting which way. There's going to come a point in the game where 
the cor- kind of like the correct theory of the case is going to be voiced. Yes. And as a bad guy, you need to have your ears open for when that happens. And then you need to kind of forensically say what just happened there. Correct. Did they stumble into it? Right. Or, you know, okay, Paul just correctly identified the bad guys. Right. And you need to kind of work back from that point and say, okay, is Paul Merlin or did, you know, I'm just saying like, no, no, you need your attention head. to that and, moment. In your head. And the, and the, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> and the path there. But pay attention that when the story is told correctly, that's correct. often a really key point it's in the a, game. Correct. I, as Merlin, what I love to do is I love to come up with an incorrect theory and shatter it from the heavens that is 50% right. I am pretty sure at this point that Matt and Trey are the bad guys. Matt and Trey are the bad guys. Only one of them is a bad guy. I'm going to use that to later to later uh, revise that or to hopefully get somebody else to revise that and say, no, I don't think it is Matt and Trey. I think it's Matt and blank and, and get it in that way. And as you just pointed out, this can't be out loud. Like That's, the one thing you can't do as a bad guy because you'll out yourself as a bad guy is ask any questions – that look like you're trying to determine who like you're morally hunting. Yeah. And and you and that's as a good player, you can really call that out. When you see somebody's like, that's really not a question you should be asking. That's a really good indicator that somebody is bad. Correct. Last two things about bad guy strategy. Um ruling players out is pretty much the way you get down to who Merlin is. It's like there's no way that in the third round Trey voted yes for a team that had two spies on it. Trey don't know nothing. Trey, don't, Trey doesn't know what the heck's, heck's going on. He is definitely not Merlin. That's a good thing to know. Uh, and then last thing, knowing when you are known, right? At a certain point, the jig is up. Everybody has kind of figured out that that you are one of the spies. When you know that, pretty much your options are extremely limited. It's probably best to just stop talking. Just stop talking. And voting is a very difficult thing in that situation as well. You can often take someone else down with you, though, in those situations. You can all you can you can try to make another good guy look bad with you, or or I mean I've I've often found that the once 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 you're outed, sometimes I you can take, there's some collateral damage that can be done. Exactly, exactly. Of course, it becomes binary at that point, right? It's like okay, so he's a known spy and he's saying Matt's good. So which is it? This is, is an iocane moment, right? 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 It's like <laughs> yeah. clearly I can choose the poison in front of me. Uh, it, it becomes an iocane moment, exactly. Uh, what I what I think personally is that while we may not be great truth tellers, uh, for some reason when it becomes when it becomes a, a binary thing, I think people seem to at least me maybe they seem to figure out w- which way I'm which way I'm going, whether or not I'm telling the truth or telling the lie in in that moment. Uh, so knowing when you're known is a really important thing, and maybe getting one step ahead, like I'm about to be outed. My time is limited. I think I think there are two people that are still on the fence about me. There are three people that are pretty sure that I'm the bad guy. Um, I should take one for the team to protect Mordred is a pretty important thing. This can also mean, like, know who you are as a red player. If you are not Mordred, then at least one player um, already knows you're a bad guy. And whether, whether Merlin has communicated with Percival that you're also a bad guy, I, I often feel like I'm going to propose a team or our team's going to include me and I'm a bad guy, really track who's pushing against that. Yes. You know, like you, you there are little tells of like, boy, I didn't get any traction yep. on that. Um, so it's pretty well known that I'm, that I'm bad. How did that get communicated? You know, that's, that's all I mean. It's like, know that you are known and re, and so you can read more into what other people are doing. 
Great. Cool. Let's talk about the individual roles uh, just real, real quick. Oh, I'm sorry, Paul. Oh, no, no, that's, that's, we're good. No, that's what I was going to transition to that. Oh, fantastic. Paul, what's, you, you, get Mer, you look at your card at the beginning of the game. You're Merlin. What do you do? Well, turns out, like, of the 300 games that we've played, <laughs> I've played Merlin maybe 10 times at most. You know? uh, so, but when I, when I am Merlin and when I've, I've seen people play Merlin, the one thing you, you need to do is basically make sure that you don't seem like you have too much knowledge. Mm-hmm. That, that is the, that's the primary thing. Uh, you, you need to find Percival, so, uh, and someone will talk about Percival. Uh, but once that happens, once you find people you can trust, you need to also convey your knowledge to these people as subtly as possible. Uh, that can include uh, so much as kicking someone under the table. It can uh, pointing to yourself. That's against the rules. That is, is it? You are not allowed to do anything under the table. Oh, well, there you go. Well, then well, what I normally do in my 10 you, times. You've, you've only been at 10 times, so yeah. it, hasn't, it hasn't affected you've our you've game. You've only cheated 10 times. You uh, have to. You, you must I don't have, think I've won in those games. Look, okay. <laughs> let's put it this way. We had a guy, we had a guy at the game once. We're not going to talk about, uh, about who because it's somebody, right. somebody we all know. Oh, I texted people. That texted people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Guys. I was not above texting. <laughs> yes, yes, yes really like just ridiculously wrong and like we didn't figure it out until the end of the game and like we're like what he did what no totally thought it was legal though i, I genuinely did, <laughs> did not know that was not allowed uh no i will say this so uh, paul, paul once did just stab me in the back <laughs> so bad i was merlin and I look at him and wink, and he goes, Matt just winked at me, everyone. <laughs> and we were both good. And I was just like, oh, I understand nothing about this game. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, no. Some amazing highs and amazing lows in this game. Not, not you your can, finest moment. The, the rule Paul. is, just to be clear, the rule is uh, that you are allowed to secretly communicate with anybody as long as it is interceptable. As mm. long as somebody can, as as long as you're risking something in in doing that, right? You can you can wink, you can stare, you can do whatever you want to do, but everybody has to be able to see it. Uh, back to Merlin, though, like uh, the the other part of Merlin, not knowing too much, but towards the end of the game, you can't be so quiet that people think it's you. Uh, you can't be playing obviously Merlin. So Merlin has this balancing act of trying to figure out how to play it so that they look like. Basic what, blue. What would a normal person do right now? Do that. That's right. Exactly. What, pretend I don't know. E- eviscerate that. Well, that that's knowledge. the uncertainty thing. Right? Exactly. Like if, uh, if they are completely quiet, I think, uh, at least in our group, we go like, oh, this person is too quiet. And if you are Merlin, you are on the chopping block. Uh, at the same time, if you have too much knowledge by the end of the game, that's bad too. So Merlin's really balancing uh, your knowledge. Absolutely. You do not get any points as Merlin, though, if you protected your identity and then you lose the game on missions. That, and that is the rub. That is the rub. You have to make sure that you give enough information, steer the conversation so that uh, the other blues uh, have some light, some compass to where the bad guys are. Yeah. In, in desperation, there are two things you can do. Uh, semi-desperation is I am going to signal to a person that is either Mordred or a basic blue guy, a basic good guy. I'm going to signal to them that I'm Merlin so that they start listening to me. And then the seriously... That happened in our game on Friday. Sure. And then the seriously last-ditch effort is, look, I can't tell you guys why I know this, but I know that you cannot vote for this team. 
strangely enough, that happened in, in the game. And sometimes you get away with it because it looks like more of the, the kind of play that Percival would play. Uh, a cover play. Which, which let's get to Percival. Trey, t- tell, us, tell us how to play perfect Percival. Well, let's just start with rule number one of Percival is you absolutely 100% have to communicate to Merlin that you are Percival. So this is not anywhere in the rules, but it's the way every group should play, is that if you are Percival, you must communicate to Merlin that you are Percival. Matt Patterson, if you are listening, did you hear that? Thank you. So how do you do this? Paul? Well, I often, uh, when I'm Percival, will stare directly into Merlin's eyes for a split second to make sure that they see me, but not so long as other people see me. Matter of fact, I think in in Friday's game, uh, we had a false start where we had to redo it, and you were Merlin, <laughs> and you didn't get to play it, which was maddening to you. Yeah. And I was Percival. And what was it? Was it like a, a like a half a second that, I, that like, I looked at you and you immediately knew? That's right. I, I, it, it, it was so subtle. It was Tom, like half winked at me. I go, okay, I know what. Oh, we have to turn our in. Thanks, Trey. Thanks. You know, or, or it wasn't Trey that time. It was. Was it me? Like I was the first. It was time. Trey. I no, no tra- Trey's knuckle oh, cracked crack. when he put Thanks, his thumb Trey's, up. Trey's knuckle. That was that was hilarious. <laughs> that's the saddest old age thing that's oh, ever wait. happened in gaming. It's really, <laughs> multiple times too. It's really really bad. But but it, it, it just means to say that that Paul and I were were crestfallen when we had to do it over because we we're like, oh, we're golden. Nobody in the world could have possibly caught that. And yet we, and yet we both felt like, like I would say, I wasn't even a hundred percent sure if he caught that. But then afterwards, when I found out that he that he did catch that, I was like, okay, we have successfully communicated that. Now that's only step one. Step two is he still has to communicate to me who the bad guys are, right, or that the ones that he knows about anyway. Right. So, in case we didn't make it clear, if you are Merlin, we've just finished the the read. Yep. Everyone's looking around now. I'm expecting within the first. 30 seconds for Percival to identify themselves to me. And how will I know this? At some point, somebody's going to be kind of looking at me like they want to have sex with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it doesn't have to be long, but it's hard to actually fake this. It's very, hard to fake. Are we talking pers- about this or the sex? No, there's a, no, there's a very, it's a very particular kind of eye contact. Uh, you Just will know holding it. eye contact a little longer than is comfortable. You know it when you see it. Yeah, and that, but that's and that's what you yep. should be doing as Percival. And you, frankly, as the bad guys, you should be looking for that to some degree. So, so maybe it, not in the first five seconds, but right? somewhere within thirty seconds. Mm, like if, if if a minute has passed and I'm Merlin and Percival is not identified to me, I, I'm we're in trouble. Good. And then once you've done that, what what, what do you do then? Well, you tell me. I, I I I don't do a lot of signaling of bad guys as Merlin. Do you? Uh, it depends. It depends on where I'm seated, where other people are seated, who's looking around. If I can, if I can do, um, you can't see this right now, but I am sort of scratching my mm-hmm. neck and I'm pointing to the person directly to the left of me. If 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 somebody on the left or right of me is one of the bad guys, I'll see if I can get. I'll see if I can get away with that. But you have to be super super careful. So where you're seated seated around the table is very important here. If right. if Merlin and Percival are sitting next to each other, it's, it seems to be a lot harder. Oh yeah, it can be. It can well or or much easier. But for the most part, it's really really hard to communicate. That. So in, in our meta, if I'm Merlin, yeah, and you're Percival, and I kind of gesture just my thumb over to Matt like that, what am I indicating? Bad guy. Right. Bad guy. Yeah, exactly. So, so that may could, be you, something that's particular yeah. to our group. I'm not saying yeah. he's safe. I'm saying he's bad. Yes, that's in our in our meta. I just want to know who the bad guys are. Um, 
Now, that said, a lot of times you can't do that. That becomes very risky because if the bad guys see it, boom, the game is over before it even began. So the other way you can do that is by listening to what Merlin is saying, by Mm -hmm. watching how Merlin is voting. And pretty much in one or two rounds, you will know with... Like, that's enough. The fact that you know that somebody is Merlin gives you the key to interpret Merlin's words most of the time. Yeah, the only advantage of, of... Merlin signaling to you who's the good guys and who the bad guys is you can be you can know faster who the bad guys are and then you can get out in front of it and you can what what that allows you to do is it allows uh Percival to be more vocal in terms of saying what we should be doing and sometimes that can hasten the game the, sometimes you can get win 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 the good guys win th- the very first three rounds. The game is over. That gives the bad guys less time to get to put together that information to try and get that coin flip to figure out who Merlin is. Yeah, your main. So then you now are going to transition into Percival wants to impersonate Merlin, right? Correct. The question is, can you overdo it? Yes, you can. Sure. But um, a lot of times when those bad guys are looking and saying, where did all this good information have? Like, Trey was right early on. Trey was really right. Now, was that because Trey was Merlin or that was because Trey was Percival? Um, you can be pretty safe as Percival communicating truthful information about the bad guys. Just, you know, again, we're going to get into an Iocane moment of like, was this Merlin? Was this Percival? Was it too obvious? Sure. You know, that's the kind of discussion the bad guys are, are going to to have. But you you should be communicating a lot of information to the basic blues who need that information. And listen, if you if you get the information right off the bat and know exactly who the bad guys are, if you start shouting from round one who the bad guys are, you don't look like Merlin at all. You look like Percival. But being outed as Percival isn't always the worst thing in the world because it gives the Bad guys, very little information to go on uh, to go on as to who Merlin is. It's like, well, it's Merlin is not him, but it could be any one of the others. But then there's the discussion: is okay, Tom knew from round one who the bad guys were. So what happened there? How who who could have communicated that to Tom? I mean, those are the conversations sure. Bad has to have, but that's kind of desperate times trying to figure out, like, oh, we have to go back to round one to figure out when. It becomes very, very difficult, and and literally anyone could have communicated that. So uh, let's move on to the last one, uh, Mordred. Uh, Mordred is very simple. Your job is to be the snake in the grass. You would love, ideally, in a Mordred game, to be the last one outed. You want to see your other fellow bad guys being on teams and failing missions. You yourself do not want to be failing anything. If you end up on a team with a team member... Hmm. You are not going to fail that mission. They are the ones who are going to fail that mission. They're going to do it for you, okay? You want to avoid the Lady of the Lake because that's how you will get outed 100%. The problem is, how do you avoid Lady of the Lake? Really, you avoid Lady of the Lake by not being on missions. That's really the the, the main way. Most of the times, the Lady of the Lake is going to be given to somebody that was on a failed mission to try and figure out good or bad, plus or minus, along those lines. Um, so if you are a Mordred... Yes. What are you doing during the during the point in which bad guys are looking at each other? Okay, during the, during uh, the point yes. where we're doing secret identity, what should Mordred do? During the secret identity, which actually we should we should do a little run through of that for, for a minute so people can use it or at least hear how, how, how we do it. It's just a really good, simple thing. Um, the bad guys are going to open their eyes. All three of them are going to have their thumbs up. You are going to wave if you don't have creaky joints. 
Uh, you're going you're gonna to make a, a firm declaration to them. You're going to mouth the word Mordred. You're going to do whatever you need to do so they know you're the special one. Right? It's super important yeah. that, that the bad guys know exactly who it is that they're protecting. Because they're going to take a bullet for you. The times you want to be on the team is when it's only good guys on that team. Good guys on the team is death to the, to the spies, to the traitors. So you want to make sure that you get on that team. Since uh, Merlin and Percival don't know anything about you, you've got a greater chance of getting on those teams. Uh, realize that, if at all possible, you'd rather have your compatriots uh, getting on these teams. I think, I think that's pretty much it about, about Mordred. Sure. So uh, let's move on. Uh, so, like, you know, we have a, another mechanism in the game, which is the Lady of the Lake. And I just want to touch on it real quick. Uh, basically, like, the Lady of the Lake allows you to see the, the true role of a person that you pick. And uh, usually, uh, the person to the left, to the right, to the right of the start player gets the Lady of the Lake. Right. And so, uh, in, in our meta, and this is more or less changing or, or whatever, uh, what we do is we don't put the person who has the Lady of the Lake uh, in the first round onto the team. Just because that person now has a lot of power, uh, more power than like we generally find comfortable, and this 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 gets reduced a bit the greater number of people you have. But like when we play seven, this is probably uh, where I'm I'm personally am unlikely to put someone uh, with Lady Lake on uh, on the team. Uh, and but or at least you, all things being equal, all, you exactly, exactly. Uh, and so with Lady Lake. When you have the Lady of the Lake, you're trying to determine who should I try to find. Am I looking for a good guy or I'm looking for a bad guy? And it really uh, depends on uh, the situation. I think ultimately both are good uh, to know if you're playing basic blue. If you're playing bad, there's a, there's a, uh, a system of thought where you want to keep Lady of the Lake with another bad guy. So you want to give it to a bad guy because what that will do is it will... You're denying a tool. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. You are denying a tool to the blue. Uh, and uh, if so you're, Do you give it to Mordred or do you give it to the other no. known? <laughs> oh, I've actually... like I, I, In the last several games, what I've done, I've, I've been bad and I've had Lady of the Lake. And what I've done is I've started throwing Mordred under the bus with Lady of the Lake. I'm saying he is a bad guy. Or she is a bad guy. Uh, and the reason why I do that is because uh, what that has done in our, in our meta is caused Merlin to decide, oh, bad guys protect Mordred. Why would this bad guy burn Mordred? He wouldn't. This person, uh, it, it builds trust for the person that I'm giving Lady Lake to. That's advanced play. Let's, let's be clear about that. Yep. Uh, uh, but I will say this thing. If you are Mordred and you ever get Lady the Lake, uh, you have to look at someone's card. You should never lie. Correct. Ever, ever lie. Because the moment you do, you signal to Merlin, you are the hidden, uh, you are the hidden person. That, that's the one thing that is uh, a newbie mistake, is to, to you're, you're, Merle, you're, you're Mordred, you're, you're hidden, you're, you're, everyone's all set up to, uh, to get your uh, final stab, and which, you say... Which means, to be clear, what you're saying is, as Mordred, ideal play is to out one of your fellow bad guys because it would be better most of the time to give it to a fellow bad guy and to say, this guy absolutely. is bad. I, I, absolutely. Or in the last round where, like, you know, the last time you could use Lady Lake, you can give it to someone say they're good. Right, because trust. they're not going to be able to pass it on. Exactly. Yeah, these are not hard rules. 
Um, but Correct. these are the things you you should be considering, exactly. And especially like when you're on the, when you're on the outside of that, you're kind of like, why did Paul just pass that? Yeah, generally best practices. All right. Um, anything else we want to say? Let's look through the, the last few things we have to say. Trey, when you pick a team, who's the one person you always put on the team? You always include yourself in picking a team. I don't think I've found a very good reason, like maybe in round five, maybe in a 10-person game. Nope. But even then, it, it, it is one of those tells that I have never seen broken is if a player suggests a team that does not include themselves, they're a spy. There's no good reason not to include yourself on, on the team. The idea being that if you're a good guy, you only know for sure one thing. I am a good guy. Everything else is suspect. Is, is suspect. If you are a bad guy, you better be playing as though I am a good guy and the only thing I know is that I am good and everything else is suspect. So to, to not put yourself on the team is, is ruinous. The second thing is, as you we were kind of talking about earlier in terms of like buying loyalty, one of the things that happens a lot of times, if you are a bad guy and you are picking a team, you are very likely to pick two good people to be on the team with you because you don't want to put on a second bad guy. So when trying to determine who should I include in my team, like we're really getting down to it here, I've got to make some guesses about who's good with me. When in doubt, it's a better bet to pick people who have been picked by other people than the people that we're doing the picking Correct. just because bad guys typically will be picking good guys to go on their teams with them. So absolutely. If, so push it a little bit towards who got picked um, when trying to pick more blue players for yourself. Well, listen, we're running a little long here, so let us, uh, I, I think this is a pretty good stopping point. Does everybody agree that we can, uh, sure. we can kind of cut it here? Let's just say this. Um, we are some pretty hardcore gamers and we are talking for an hour and 45 minutes about a silly little social deduction party game that we have played 300 times. If this does not tell you that this is a game that is worth your time, I don't know what else we can say. It is a phenomenal game. The highs, the highs of the play experience of this game are so high. Of being and the lows and the lows, so low. the lows are so. But they like as, as Matt said, Matt will be infuriated. His face will turn red when somebody has accused him of being a bad guy when he's not a bad guy. And three minutes later, he's done. It's like an endorphin rush. It's just it's just coursing through his body, and then boom! It's just it's a release. It is it is an absolutely amazing experience. Some of our most fun, the the most laughter we have had ever have have been around this one game. And, and I would like to add, like you know. This game really rewards uh, several plays, and you learn, you get better so quick at this game. Like, I will say, like, you know, Trey, <laughs> not to throw you under the bus, but you were not very good at this game at the very start. And now I, I really consider you the most dangerous person at the table. And it, it's, it's, and it's quick. Thanks. It's quick. I, I consider myself the most dangerous person <laughs> to myself. So, anyway, but like, it, it really rewards I'm no. <laughs> uh, It really rewards multiple plays. Just, Give it a little time, and I, I guarantee you, it gets you're, better. You're gonna get, you're gonna love this. You'll game. appreciate it. It's elegant. The more you play it, the more you'll love it. Well, except I'm, for your Matt, I'm beaming ear to ear just because I, I just love you guys, and I'm just, <laughs> I, I just feel like I, you guys are really living up to the game brain title right now. <laughs> the fact that we could all, that you could all talk for an hour and a half about, uh, yeah, fifteen dollar game that is could be explained in thirty seconds. 
uh, I have chosen my friends correctly. And uh, <laughs> this is the level of game brain that we all have. And I hope that was interesting to everybody. I, I actually was listening to everything you said and am more excited to play it than I have been in a long time. And, and look, good. I do not dislike Avalon. Sure. I, I, I'm very clear about the areas that I, I do think that the first 20 minutes of the game often feel I often check out. Maybe that's a me problem. Maybe that's just, I just don't enjoy the, the like, like you said, the, what I think you said was really uh, elucidating to me was that the amount of effort you have to put in is very high and the amount of information you get is very low. And I often find that to be uh, unfun. Tot- and it's totally valid. Yeah. It is the hardest work of the game. And listen, you can win the game without doing that hard work. Sure. But, it, but you know, it's a game of inches. And so we, as a group, like to, put in, like to put in that work and see if we can eke out a little extra advantage, a little extra information in those early stages. I do have one question for you guys that I'd love an answer on um, in terms of uh, people who play this game. Because I think this game is tough for groups that are not uh, very comfortable with each other. Uh, A group of strangers might have a hard time with this game. But also I think shy players and people with social anxiety and things like that really struggle with games like this. I will say uh, I have friends that come to my game night and I purposely make sure that we don't play Avalon when we play with them. And it's not because they're shy, actually. It's because they're fundamentally decent people. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, in, in all honesty, uh, I, have, I have two or three friends that live their lives without lying. And they find it very difficult to lie. Yeah. So do, It's do, amazing to do me. Do you think there is a moral space in this game? Look, when we play a when we play games, we play to model conflict, right? It's no different than than uh, lion cubs that are fighting with each other. They're playing games. What they're doing is is they're modeling conflict in a way that is safe and that is is uh, that holds a space where they can practice this sort of stuff before it becomes life or death. I think games have that have that. We're, we're able to have conflict. We're able to compete with each other without it being without it being a life or death. And in this case, we get to lie to each other. But do you think becoming a better liar is immoral? Do I think? Well, look, I I will go back to the very first thing I said. This game is about building trust. (laughs) No, it really is. It really is. This game, this game is about there are, there are, there are liars in the world. There are people that, that wish you harm together. Collectively, we are stronger than that. And when the good guys win, it is because of that. So I uh, know uh, what this game is, is, is some people are playing that game, but more people in every single version of this game, more people are the people that are trying to combat that, that are trying to stop the gaslighting, that are trying to see the truth through the lies, that are trying to get rid of the fake news. Uh, to me, this is a very positive game in that sense. It does teach you how to lie, though. Yeah, it, it does. does. But it also teaches you how to spot liars really well, too, which is... Uh, I'm, I think I'm, it can. I'm, more I play, the more I have... Um, respect for how little I know as far yeah. as sp- spotting liars. I would say I, I would feel better going into an interrogation with police after having played this game. Sure. E- even completely innocent. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, I'm more comfortable saying I don't know yeah. Look, than creating, like people oftentimes start telling stories that they can't actually back up. Sure. Like don't, if you don't know something, say I don't know. Yeah. It, may not, it may not be that you can spot liars better, but I will say this. It makes you less likely to be gaslit because it makes you value facts and information. What is indisputable? Yeah. What is 100%? You learn to not you trust can, your instincts and your hunches so strongly so like you unless can't they're back based up on what something. You're saying. 
Like right. you've made a number of leaps there that you cannot back up. It, it, it enforces critical thinking. Yeah, that's exactly what we're saying. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Um, well, that was fascinating, guys. I really appreciated that. Um, I hope people listening to it do. Uh, look, we have an awesome Facebook group. It's burgeoning. It's growing. People are talking. They're having fun. Uh, it's a little confusing because there's actually two places on Facebook you can find us. There is a Facebook page, which is like the, you know, where you could like it. I don't know the difference. I might get rid of that one just so it's not confusing. And then there's our Facebook group. So if you go to Facebook and you look up Game Brain Pod group, yeah. uh, ask to join that one. You will be approved. Um, I'd really like that to become sort of the central hub of the podcast. And so uh, if you're enjoying this and you want to reach out to any of us, if you want to meet other gamers, maybe in your area, if you want game recommendations, tell us how we were wrong. Today. Or if you, yeah, if you want to just uh, refute something we said or yeah. add something we said, um, I learned about a game that I didn't even know about last week. Somebody made a comment that I would like to see a review of this. And I was like, yeah. I don't even know what that exactly. is. Exactly. So yeah, Facebook, uh, look for the game brain group. Uh, make sure it's not just the Game Brain page. I know it's a little confusing. I might just kill that one. Uh, and just so there's the group. Um, look, we will be back next week with a normal episode. Jesse, the analytical gamer, will be our guest. And I think we're going to be reviewing um, a sort of escape room type game, which is sort of his uh, favorite area. Um, Unlock? Which one are you doing? No, what is it? The the detective one. that you Trey, you played it. Chronicles of Crime. Chronicles of Crime. Yes, that's sort of escape room-ish, right? No? No, You're just trying to solve a mystery? It's much more just electronic uh, Sherlock Holmes consulting consulting detective. detective Got it. Okay. Simplified. I understand. Um, Everybody's been enjoying Alfred's Mix on Spotify. You can find links to that in our group or on our Twitter. Um, All information can be found at GameBraidPod.com. I'm going to make sure actually that on GameBraidPod.com we add a link that goes directly to our Facebook group. I can't believe I didn't think of that until just right now. So go to GameBraidPod.com and I'll make sure that link is up there, which will directly take you to our Facebook group so you don't have to mess around with uh, Facebook's Google algorithm. Um, Anything else you gentlemen want to say? No, thanks All everybody right. for for tuning in. We're we're getting a lot of great uh, great feedback so far, and uh, please, please, please uh, submit some some music so we don't have to hear Matt singing in between. <laughs> exactly, these. yeah, we do need some little jingles in between. Um, and yeah, uh, we have lots of wonderful reviews and ratings on Apple and other places, but um, they always help. It it helps get Apple's little algorithm find uh, other listeners by typing in board games and things like that. Um, that's about it. You've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson. Special thanks to Daedalus for our incredible music. Uh, more on Daedalus at GameBrainPod.com. You can reach me at email uh, via Matthew at GameBrainPod.com or on Twitter at GameBrain underscore pod. We also have an Instagram, but all those links can be found at GameBrainPod.com. Thanks for listening and go play some games with friends or go make some friends with games. <laughs>